Well, go ahead and take your Bible with me and turn to Psalm 134 this morning. Psalm 134 is where we'll be. We're finishing up our time in the Psalms of Ascent this morning. Next week, we'll shift gears. This is another short psalm for us, Psalm 134. Again, only three verses long, but incredibly profound, incredibly impactful. As we were worshiping this morning, I was thinking about why we worship, why we sing together. Um, it's in, there's a an really important purpose. It's not just because the church has always sung together, but, but the fact of the matter is that when we come into this space, we need to be prepared to receive the word, the word of God. And oftentimes our hearts are in a state of disorder or in a state of disorientation because we've been beat up by the world. We've been put in a position where, where things are difficult, where we're faced down the barrel of something difficult. And we need to recognize that when we come here, God gives us singing. God gives us singing to soften our hearts. It's like a chisel when our hearts are hard and God is swinging away at the chisel and breaking away that hard outer shell in order that we might receive the word of God. That, that's the reason we sing. We, we don't sing because, again, because it's just something that the church has always done. We sing because it's commanded to us and it's the reason God created it. The reason God created singing was so that our hearts would be formed and inclined towards him in corporate worship. So whenever you turn on the radio, whether you're listening to secular radio, Christian radio, whatever that means, when you hear music, the original intent for it was for, for us to hear that singing and to marvel at who God is. That, that's, why we, that's why we worship. And so when Papa Mark gets up here and scolds you, that that's where he's coming from. Did, did I scold you? No, no, it's just, I'm just, it's just Papa Mark. But the 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 reality of it is is we as 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 people come together and we are. Mark often says that we are here for an audience of one, and while that is absolutely hundred percent true, we also live in a tension where we exist with other people in this room, and. If we are to examine ourselves and say, how is it that I'm engaging the people on my left and my right? Am I doing it with regularity? Am I doing it with consistency? Am I doing it with passion? Am I doing it with purpose? Am I doing it as God intended? That's what, those are the questions that we have to ask ourselves. So we walk into this space and we think to ourselves, if you're walking in and you're setting your fantasy football lineup, I was doing that this morning. If you're setting your fantasy football lineup and, and your mind is far from the fact that you're about to engage the one true and living God, the creator of all things in the universe, in song, in worship, and then through his word, if, you're, if your mind is far from that when you walk into this space, then the fact of the matter is that that chisel that God has given to us will not be effective. Now, we don't rely wholly on our efforts or our energy as people to, to do that. God can only do that. And yet, at the same time, God calls us and we are totally responsible we are totally responsible to enter this space prepared to engage the God of the universe. 
And we're going to see that this morning in this psalm. So that's not, that's not an aside. That's, that's important to, to what we're going to see here this morning. So I hope you have your Bible. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are a handful on the table back there. Feel free to, to grab one if you, if you need one. But Psalm 134 this morning is where we're at. Let me read this psalm for us and then, and then we'll dive in. A song of ascents. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. So before we tackle this text, I want to kind of go back to where we started 15-ish weeks ago, 15 weeks ago, when we started our time in the Psalms of Ascent. Why are these important? Again, we said this is the Psalter within the Psalter. It's a compilation of Psalms with one intended purpose. Um, now, we don't necessarily know exactly the, the uh, trappings around why these Psalms were used or compiled in the way that they were. There, there are a handful of explanations that are potentials for us. One, maybe ascending the, the temple steps uh, in order to engage in, in worship. Or maybe journeying to Jerusalem for a festival. These songs would have been sung or recited in those settings. Or maybe it was returning from exile. Maybe it was all three. We don't have specifics on exactly when or how they were used. But we know that they were used and they were used for a specific purpose. And the reason these psalms were used was to convey the idea that the underlying intent for these psalms is to show worship as an ascent, as a forward movement and an upward movement also. And, and for those who regularly sung or recited these psalms, it would have been recognized that these psalms were designed to help order life around and orient life toward God. So when we, when we think about these psalms, we're thinking about ordering our life around and orienting our life toward God. Now there's some simple ways that we can think about that. One is just, what is the emphasis of my life? What is my life ordered around? Or what is my life oriented towards? What are my goals? What am I moving towards as a, as a person? What are the things that are clearly set before me? And that's why when we come to this space, and that's why these Psalms are about worship primarily is because when we come to this space, we again are oftentimes in a state of disorder and a state of disorientation. Now you may say, well, no, I'm not. I'm not in a state of disorder. But the reality again is that the world is pressing in on us. The world is moving us towards to respond in specific ways to uh, the events that are going on throughout the course of our day. And when the world presses us up against something that, that falls outside of, of Scripture and, and the way that God commands us to think and act and live, oftentimes then we move out of that state of ordering our lives around or orienting our lives towards into a state of disorder or disorientation. So again, we have to ask ourselves when we come to these Psalms, again, this is big picture, but what stands at the center of my life? What is my life ordered around? What is, the, what is at the core of who I am? And again, this is an, this is an identity-based question. If you ask, who am I? The first answer you have to that question is what your life is ordered around. If you ask the question, who am I? 
the first answer you have to that question is what your life is centered on. Maybe it's job, role as spouse, role as parent, advocate for a cause. Maybe it's as a musician or as a preacher, or maybe it's the ability to say that you're busy or that you've lived in a place or all the places that you've traveled or experiences you've, you've had. Friends, again, we hit on this often. God wants us to find our identity in Jesus Christ. The things that he exemplified, we want to put into practice. That's what it means to be a Christian. When you say, I'm a Christian, what you're saying is the things that Jesus did and exemplified in his life here on earth, those things are what my life reflects. When you say that you're a Christian, that's what you're saying. You're saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. And so you ask the question, what stands at the center of my life? If the answer is Jesus, then I seek to love, I seek to serve, I seek to put other interests above my own, etc. And then, what is, the li- what is your life centered? So what is your life centered around? The easiest way to answer that question is to ask where your mind goes when someone asks you who you are. But then again, what is my life oriented towards? What are my goals? What are, where, am I, where am I directed? Where am I going? Is it to make money and obtain material? Is it to accomplish a task? Is it to uh, gain a promotion at a rapid pace? Is it just to survive tomorrow? Is it to be well-known? Maybe it's to retire soon. Again, these psalms call us to a profound shift and call us to make the goal of everyday life to love God, to know him, and to make him known. So we ask the question then of ourselves, what is the direction of my life? For centuries, the church preached, and what I don't want to say is like exclusively wholesale, but there's a large swath of human history in where the church existed, the New Testament church existed, where passion and ambition were something that were suppressed. I think if we read these psalms, they beg to differ. If we read these 15 psalms together, I think they beg to differ. I think passion and ambition is an... David has a passion. We saw this last week, or two weeks ago. David has a passion to see God dwell amongst his people. Healthy ambition for the believers to find, like we talked about last week, to find common direction with the the people of God. We are to be passionate about seeing the local church grow and flourish in our city, all while recognizing that Jesus is the one who is building it. If we go back to Psalm 127. We are to be passionate about seeing our homes centered around Jesus. Another idea we talked about last week. We should, with the utmost ambition, be concerned with displaying to the world that only through the shed blood of Jesus can you have right relationship with God. These are the passions and the ambitions that the follower of Jesus ought to have. And passion and ambition then are the keys to the Christian life. You cannot have right ambitions in your vocation if you discard uh, the ultimate aim for which you were created. You can have these right ambitions in your vocation, in your home, wherever you find yourself, if you center your life on Jesus Christ and you you orient your life towards him. And these Psalms tell us not to stop short of doing just that. So question again, here's another question for you. Lots of questions. Another question for you, you should ask yourself, are my goals in life or the emphasis of my life temporary or eternal? Simple way, simple way to determine this. 
I, this week, I've been wanting to get a new phone. I've been thinking about getting a new phone. So I did a lot of research this week. I've read reviews, asked for advice, looked for deals. A phone is a temporary thing, right? It's something that isn't going to last for probably more than a year, maybe two, depending on, depending on where, where or how well I take care of it, really, honestly. Uh, but my thought as I was doing that, as I was laying in bed one night watching a, a review of a phone, I thought to myself, what's next, right? Because this isn't going to last me very long, what's next? What piece of technology will become the subject of my deal hunting or my review reading or my advice seeking? The emphasis of my life could easily become making informed consumer decisions that the direction of my life could always be acquiring the next thing. And the point, what I'm saying, the point is, is this. The direction and emphasis of your life should be on the eternal, not on the temporary. It's not that you should ignore the temporary. Absolutely not. That's not what the Bible tells us to. It certainly doesn't tell us to ignore the temporary, but it tells us to keep the eternal in view. And it will allow you to be wise regarding the, the temporary. Keeping the eternal in view will allow you to be wise in regarding the temporary. Would, the, the, way that, the way that I think about this is, is would, I, would I be concerned about building a sandcastle if I knew a tsunami was coming? Would I be wise about building a sandcastle if I knew a tsunami was coming? Would I be concerned about doing the dishes if my house was on fire? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I would never be concerned about getting the dishes done if my house was burning to the ground all around me. John Piper says it like this in a book that, that really honestly, when I was in college, changed, changed my life. John Piper says it like this. The book is called Don't Waste Your Life. And what he says is, whatever you do, find the God-centered, Christ-exalting, Bible-saturated passion of your life and find your way to say it and to live it and to die for it. And you will make a difference that lasts. You will not waste your life. And then he goes on to say later in the book, he says, he defines that passion. He says, God created me and you to live with a single, all-embracing, all-transforming passion, namely a passion to glorify God by enjoying and displaying his supreme excellence in all spheres of life. That's a lot of words. What he's saying is that you were created for one thing. You were created for a passion. You were created to have ambition, and it was to order your life around God and orient to him, to, or your life towards, towards him. That ordering and orientation of the life, and one who internalizes these, these psalms of ascent, we would really take that to heart. A passion to see the name of the Lord made famous, to see him glorified. Is, is Jesus being made famous among our church family or is something else? I think we need to ask that question as a group of people. Is Jesus being made famous amongst Buffalo City Church or is something else being made famous? Is Jesus being made famous throughout Jamestown community? When people look at Buffalo City Church, they see a group of people whose passion is to glorify God by enjoying and displaying his supreme excellence in all spheres of life. Friends, we should stop at nothing short. And again, this begins at the individual level. This begins at the individual level. We are all wholesale responsible for doing just this in our own lives 
and then encouraging our brothers and sisters to do the same. We should learn, we should learn in these Psalms of Ascent and throughout all of Scripture, how does Psalm 134 fit and in, finish into this group of Psalms? Then? So that, that's kind of, again, the overview that we started out when we started in the Psalms of Ascent, but, but how does this Psalm, Psalm 134, fit in and finish off this grouping of, of Psalms? I think there are two things that are contained here. I'm going to give you just two. An invitation and a reminder. An invitation and, and a reminder. So first, the invitation. Look, look at verse 1 with me. The, the psalmist says, Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. And then in verse 2, he says, Lift up your hands to the holy place and, and bless the Lord. Look at that first word. Look at the first word, come. I think oftentimes we skip over a word like that, but it actually is, it is, a, it is a directive. This is an imperative, what we call it, it is a command. Come. Why, why does the psalmist start there? Well, I think really honestly, everything that he says flows out of that first word. Come. It's an invitation. Now, when we see an invitation, we have to ask the question, who is being invited and who is doing the inviting, right? So, so in this psalm specifically, I think the, the best way to, to understand this, again, this is an interesting dynamic because there's not a one-to-one specific correlation in our world. What makes the most sense here is that the people of Israel are concluding their temple worship by calling those ministering in the temple to do verses one and two. So, the, the people ministering in the temple are actually hearing and receiving from the congregation of Israel. They are hearing and receiving an admonition from them. And the people are saying to the priesthood, they're saying, come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. That's why they say all the servants of the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. They're calling the priesthood to something. Those in the ministering in the temple then would respond in Verse three, and save the congregation, may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. So it's kind of a call from the congregation to the priests and then the priests back to, to the congregation. So what makes this tricky is how this applies to us because the way that we structure our worship in the New Testament, where the New Testament communicates to us about how we should gather and organize ourselves is very specifically different than it was for ancient Israel. Structured in a very different way. We don't have priests. We, we do not have priests. And we'll get to this in a second. The New Testament church isn't structured in the same way Israel was. So, so priest and pastor, not the same thing. Not, not the same thing. The New Testament application of the idea of priest has, according to the New Testament authors, taken on a new meaning. And it's a rich meaning. We don't discard it, but it has a new meaning a new important meaning for, for the local church. So the primary duty of the priesthood in ancient Israel is to offer up sacrifices. It was the primary duty of, of, ancient, or of the priests in ancient Israel. They would offer these sacrifices to God on behalf of the people of Israel. But when we get to the New Testament, if you're reading the book of Hebrews, you, 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 see, that, you see that that's not the way that things go. The book of Hebrews makes it clear that Jesus now is our high priest who, who sacrificed himself on our behalf. 
And so the sacrificial system in the way that we see it played out in the Old Testament is no longer part of our worship. So the priesthood for us in the church is no longer necessary in the way that it was in ancient Israel. Not saying it's not necessary, but it's not necessary in the way that it was structured for ancient Israel. Because Jesus, for one reason, because Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient once and for all. And what Jesus did pass along was the role of shepherd as a leadership role in the local church. This is what we call pastor, overseer, elder. The pastors, overseers, elders have one job. It's to feed and lead the people by administering the word of God. And so additionally, we made mention of this. The New Testament refers to all believers as priests. So if you're in Christ and you're part of the local church, then you are considered by the New Testament a priest. And what does that, what does that mean? What, why? Well, 1 Peter 2 says that we are a royal priesthood. And then John says in Revelation 1, as he's writing to the seven churches, he's writing about Jesus and his work. And he says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Jesus makes a king, a kingdom and priests. And again, Revelation 5, 9 and 10 says this. It says this about Jesus. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The work of Jesus makes all of his people, kingdom, and priests. There is not one section of people in the church who are not referred to as a kingdom and priests. Why? Well, because of the rest of the sacrifice of our great high priest, we rest in the sacrifice of our great high priest, Jesus, but we are called to something very specific. And this is what I'm driving at. We're called to something very specific, and it's to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. We are all called, every believer is called to offer his or her life as a living sacrifice. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 12.1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So stick with me here because this is important. This psalm will make zero sense to you if you don't get this. The psalm will not make any sense to you if you don't get this. Because of the rest of our sacrifice, we rest in the sacrifice of our great high priest. We, as a royal priesthood, are always offering sacrifice to our God. Now, that's not with the blood of goats. It's not the animals. It's our lives. This is why this is important. This is why this is important. We are called to live sacrificial lives in service to our king. Friends, this is worship. This is what worship is. Worship is not simply songs. Worship is offering our lives as a living sacrifice to our God. And this is the Psalms of Ascent are about. Sometimes people give themselves to sort of degrees of Christianity. They look at somebody and say, oh, that's a super Christian. Or, or that person, I'm, I'm just a regular guy, right? Like I don't understand anything. Oftentimes, that, that's the way that we, we operate. 
But, but the reality of this is God has set you apart to offer your whole self to him in sacrificial service. He's called you a priest. Your primary role on this earth is to offer yourself, if you're in Christ, to, a, to the sacrificial service of, of your, your king. We, as, the, are the, as those who are in Christ, are a royal priesthood. And it's not only that we, not only that we do this from, from an obligatory perspective, but we, we get to do this. We are, we are our own. Our lives don't belong to us. And the, the cultural narrative demands, demands that you live your life in a way that you want to. But our, our greatest aim as, as followers of Jesus is that we live our lives in a way that our king wants us to. It's, it's not a burden to make our lives about him. It's not a burden to make our lives about him. It is our greatest joy and freedom. There, there's something bigger than us in this world. There's something bigger than us in this world. And again, in a heavily individualistic society, our society is always making it about you. Do you know how hard it is to fight against this? It is absolutely the most difficult thing you will probably do in your life is to fight against the fact that society is telling you that your life is all about you. In that book I quoted from John Piper a, a, a few minutes ago, he said this, the really wonderful moments of joy in this world are not the moments of self-satisfaction, but self-forgetfulness. Standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and contemplating your own greatness is pathological. At such moments, we are made for a magnificent joy that comes from outside ourselves. Friends, what if the path to true contentment and happiness is to realize that our identity is a kingdom in priests, who are offering our lives in sacrificial service to our king. Because he is the one who made the sacrifice that was necessary for us to have right relationship with God. What if that was our perspective? This is the reordering and reorientation that we must have as God's people when we come together and gather in this place for corporate worship. We must reorder our lives with Christ at the center we must reorient our lives towards God himself. Paul got it. In Romans 12, again, he describes the sacrifice, but then later, just three chapters later, he says in Romans 15, 16, in the closing of his letter, he describes his service to the gospel as, as priestly. Why? Not because he was a priest, but because he was a man who could say that he sacrificed everything for the sake of the gospel, knowing full well that his sacrifices were only possible because of the sacrifice of Christ, which covered him. So, so the question then is this. Since we don't have worship structure, again, okay, now we're in Psalm 134 again. Since we don't have a worship structure like ancient Israel, how does this psalm apply to us? One simple way. Look at this. All you servants of the, come bless the Lord, all you servants of, of the Lord. When the, the congregation, when the people of Israel spoke that to the priesthood, when they said that to the priesthood, that, that there was a separation between the priests and the people. Now, when we look at this and we read it, every single one of us, if we are in Christ, are the servants of the Lord. There is no more distinction. Jesus through his sacrificial death. And we remember, the, the veil was torn. 
No longer was it necessary for the high priest to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people one day a year on the day of atonement by walking into the Holy of Holies. No longer was that, is that necessary. We now have unimpeded access to our God through Jesus Christ, who is now reigning at the Father's right hand and making intercession on our behalf. So no longer is there a separation between those who speak these words and those who receive them. But come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, is for every single person who is in, in Christ. If we are a royal priesthood, a kingdom of, and, and priests, offering sacrificial service to our king, we are invited to, what? We are invited to come bless the Lord. Now this is an invitation, but again, it's coming at the end of worship. We need to take that into consideration because just in a few minutes, our time together in worship will be over. And the call for us at the end of our time in this space together is to come bless the Lord as you go. It seems a little counterintuitive, but that's the way that this is structured. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. As you go, come bless the Lord. All you servants of the Lord who stand by night. We have to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to come bless the Lord as we go? I think a very simple definition comes from a man named Charles Spurgeon. He says this about this psalm, to bless the Lord is to think well of him and to speak well of him, adore him with reverence, draw near to him with love, delight in him with exaltation. So if we just want to boil that down, just making him famous. And what we don't mean by that is adding PTL at the end of your text messages. But what we do mean by that is that you seek to love him with your whole being. You seek to, you seek to know him through his word. You, speak the, you seek to speak the truth about who he is to those who don't know him. And you seek others to call, or you call others to remember who he is when the road gets rocky. The call to come bless the Lord is the call to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual act of worship. That is the call to come bless the Lord. The call to come bless the Lord is the call to order your life around and orient your life towards, towards God. So this morning, as we think about the invitation Friends, accept it. Accept this invitation that this psalmist gives to us. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. You're invited to live an unwasted life. You're invited to live a life of freedom. You're invited to live what God intended for you, not, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Not to personal pursuits or pleasures, but passionately making your life about the king of the universe, washing the feet of others, serving them like the king of the universe did for his own disciples, offering genuine care for brothers and sisters and pleading with the world that Jesus is better than their broken, self-focused, relativistic, relativistic, relativistic message. Is that right? Holy cow. Relativistic message that it has to offer us. Accept the, look at this, accept the invitation to stand by night. Who stand by night in the house of the Lord? When everyone else has gone to bed, 
when others go to sleep and forget the excellencies of their creator, accept the invitation to stand in service of your king and his people, to keep watch and guard and defend God's word. When everything else appears to be fading, when darkness closes in and things seem rough, stand, don't shrink back. Accept the invitation not to walk out of these doors and choose to withdraw the living sacrifice that God calls you to because it's convenient, inconvenient, or too costly. You have a great high priest who sympathizes with your weaknesses, yet without sin. Accept the invitation to continue to serve and love and worship even when things go wrong and when you feel the pain that you don't think that you could ever get past. And because of his sacrifice, and because of the sacrifice of Jesus, it's possible for you to offer your life as a living sacrifice and as a spiritual act of worship. So this morning, accept the invitation. We live in a low-cost, low-commitment culture that is always clicking maybe on Facebook. Don't click maybe. There is wet cement before you. Put your hand in it. Write your name in it. Walk out of here and live your life as a living sacrifice. The psalm is a formal invitation. When we disperse, come bless the Lord as you go. To, when we disperse, to walk into the world and bless the Lord, to make him famous and to make him alone famous. Friends, your life is making something famous. What is it? Is it God or is it something else? Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Verse three then. These are the reminders then that come from this text. The second thing we want to consider, two reminders, very simple. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. First reminder comes in the second half of the verse. God is creator. God is is creator. And you say, well, yeah, I know that. I get that. I'm all about that. The reality of understanding and being cognizant of the fact that God is, is creator and internalizing that are two separate things. Because for the one who says God is creator, but then lives his or her life in a way that, that, that is exclusively for him or herself, they, they have not yet internalized the fact that yes, God is creator, but that makes us something very specific that makes us his creatures, his creation. All that we are, all that we have and all that we are is because of God. Do, do not forget that. This is part of the call. Do not forget that all that we are and all that we have is because of God when we walk out the door. Our very existence is a, a result of his word. Our relationship with him is a result of his grace. Your standing with your creator didn't come to you because anything that you have done, but be completely as a result of his blessing. Now, I know this is true of some of you, so I'm just going to ask the question, and yes. Yes, a lot of you have thought about this. Have you thought about the intricacies of your own body? Like the intricacies of your your own body as a created being. And how many things need to be going right in this moment, right now, in this moment, for your existence to continue? How many absolutely essential things are taking place inside of you currently that you have no control over? But God created you 
And he created those things. And and in in an information age, we rarely marvel at the complexities of, of our world and how God made every last atom. Maybe blessing the Lord would come more naturally if we thought about how intensely intricate our world is and how our control and capabilities are so overwhelmingly finite. The second reminder we see in Psalm 134 is this. Verse 3, the first half of the text. May the Lord bless you from Zion. It is God's good pleasure to bless his people. It is God's good pleasure to bless his people. God is not a withholding God. God is a God of generosity. He delights in his people. He made us in his image. And he is actively working to restore us to that image through the sacrifice of his son. So when we consider these two things, we consider that God is our creator and that it is God's good pleasure to to bless his people. When we consider these two things, how could we do anything but what verses one and two tell us to do? Those are simple truths, yet radically profound. Truths that we rarely meditate upon. If we owe all that we are to God, why would we speak poorly of him or ignore him altogether? If he has graciously given us all things, how could we not think well of him and speak well of him and adore him with reverence and draw near to him with love to delight in him with exultation? These simple truths need to be meditated upon. Remember a few weeks ago when we were looking at Psalm 131, The Lord, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. The idea here, again, is that we would meditate and rest in the simple truths of God's word. Who is God? What has he done for us? These are not overtly complex ideas. These are simple truths that need to be meditated upon. We brush over them. We move past them too quickly. And because of it, we fail to come bless the Lord as we go. In conclusion then this morning, this, this psalm is a conclusion, but, but in, in conclusion, here's a couple of things, three things actually. The first we already talked about, accept the invitation. Accept the invitation to come bless the Lord as, as you go. Our corporate worship is going to end here, but, but worship continues. Worship continues. Accept the invitation for it to continue and to to govern your week. Be sacrificial in your service, dear King. Come bless the Lord as you go. What does that look like? By making Jesus famous, by resting in his finished work, by loving others and showing genuine concern and caring for them. The simple work of selfless service is how we bless the Lord. Selfless love, selfless service. This is how we bless the Lord. That's what he has done. Or that, that, that's what he has set us apart to do. Don't apply the measurements that the world uses. It's not always large. It's not always fast. It's not always drawing a crowd. The times where in Jesus' ministry, his impact was felt the deepest and most profoundly was not when the masses gathered around him, 
but in intimate settings where he spoke simple, plain truths with 12 ordinary, uneducated, anonymous men. Come bless the Lord by doing that simple, those simple things that he requires of us and then recognizing that he's the reason we're capable of doing them anyways. You know, our, the way that we do church is, is simple. It's not highly programmed. It's not, it's not in a place where we, we, we have things every night of the week. We want to, am I, am, what's going on here? Something crazy. Okay. No, that's okay. <laughs> I thought something was going terribly wrong. So I'm glad it's just your phone. Who knows what's happening with the rodeo. The, the way that we choose to do is not a highly programmatic way. We want to do the simple things of engagement with, with one another, right? Just speaking the simple, profound truths. The reality is we as people grow bored quickly. We grow bored quickly. And yet God calls us to engage our brothers and sisters in a very simple way. To speak the truth simply about who he is with regularity, consistency, and faithfulness. We must, though, first believe in our own hearts, and this is where we're responsible as individuals, we must first believe in our own hearts that God is creator and that God intends to bless his people. We must, we must, we must believe that those things are absolute truths without exception. So that's the first thing this morning, accept the invitation. The second the second thing is, is another simple admonition to remember who you are. Again, at your core, you are God's creation. Again, meditate on that this week. Think about how that's different from any other relationship that you have. Think about how it's different than any other relationship that you have. No one else created you but God. And he does want a relationship with you. He wants to commune with you, to dwell with you, for you to know him and for all that is to happen for all of eternity. That relationship is so important with him that he, to him that he sent his son to die so that you, your separation from him might end. The thing that separated you from him, your sin, he sent his son to die so that that would not separate you from him any longer. Psalm 100 verse 3 says this, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Friends, know that the Lord, he is God. He created you. He is the Lord of your marriage. He's the Lord of your singleness. Friends, he is the Lord of your childhood, of your family, of your work. He is the Lord of everything. The Lord, he is God. There is none other. And he is the creator. We are the creatures. Finally, this morning, final thing, d desire to be a, a disciple. Again, following Jesus is what we say when we say that we are a Christian. And we say that we seek to reflect all that he exemplified in his life here on earth. Now, we talk a lot about discipleship. And just so your eyes don't roll in the back of your head, li listen, we want to define it in three ways. One, just simply as a, as a worshiper, as a learner, and as a servant. 
We say, well, what is a disciple? It is a worshiper. We've been talking about worship all, all morning. We want to avoid seeing discipleship as a program, but an all-of-life activity. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to take up our cross. We're called to die to self and self-interest. And while that seems hard, and it is, it is absolutely essential to the Christian life. Don't believe the lie that you, can, that you can be a Christian and live for yourself. Friends, it is an aim of Satan to see people who call themselves Christians living for themselves, sacrificing nothing, committing to no one, clenching fists time, tightly around time and money and talents. You get to live for your king. Friends, you get to live for your king by being a worshiper, by ordering your life around and orienting it towards God, by being a learner, by longing to know God through his word and through exploring that truth with others and introducing people to it and reminding them of it, and by being a servant, by considering others before yourself in humility, even when it's not convenient, genuinely caring for others, sacrificing so that they might know God in good times and in difficulty. That's what discipleship is. Growing in these things and, and asking how we can other, help others grow in them in those areas as well. So this morning the call is clear. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Let's pray.